Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Sally Hughes and Kate Sevier here. Hello. Hi. How are you? We weren't here last month, were we? We I was at a funeral, so we're off to a jolly start. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was on a deadline, which is not as dramatic. It's good to be back. We are talking all things motherhood today. We've got some really good guests. We've got um, Helen Linehan and Barunka O'Shaughnessy, who write um, Motherland on the BBC, which is back next month. Um, And we also have Anarchy Somerville, the writer of Motherwhelmed. So loads of parenting stuff. But if you're not a parent, I think it'll still be amusing because there have been a few good mother-related memes, haven't there? It's true. Going around that we all became slightly obsessed with. But we only have Barunka for a short amount of time, so I want to talk about Motherland straight away. Hello. Hello, ladies. Hello. Um, Hello. So the reason you're going, fittingly enough... I'll be fine. Uh, No, I've got to go and pick up my child from school because I haven't yet worked out how to arrange that sensibly and have a full working day. Did you have kids when you started writing? I did, yes, just about. But I haven't got a child of of school age. Well, she is now, just started school. So um, I had to trust the others for all that kind of... Um, insight, but having a child did help in writing about being a mother. <laughs> it turns out. <laughs> I, don't think weird. Could, I don't think you could fake that one. I was thinking, could I have done this before? I thought, absolutely not. You just don't have that emotional insight that you do no. once you've actually squeezed one. It's out. harder before school, isn't it? Anyway, I think school is amazing when they start school. I think you're she at the at tough she end. She was there all day till six, and now she finishes at three oh, fifty. What am I supposed to do with that? Nothing. I know it's like you have to pay radio shows. <laughs> Um, so where did we leave it last time at the end of the last series and how are we going into the next? So we left it with... Was it the last... Did someone what die? What was the last... What was the last episode? Um, uh, oh, God, do you know what? I can't remember. <laughs> I think Julia got a job. No, Julia... Something happened to Julia. So for people who haven't watched it, um, the, the, <laughs> <laughs> the protagonist... Such well, you know, is their commitment to the craft that they actually can't remember. Because I guess you're in an, uh, the next series mindset. Yeah, yeah. You don't totally. want to give spoilers. So. Totally. Uh, well, the thing with Motherland is that the storylines are infinite anyway. And, and, and the, the story arc, you know, can, can, it doesn't have to continue into the second series because they've still all got kids. They might be a little bit older, but that's, that's it and it's still the same old struggle and and but for this series it was, it was quite interesting sort of me coming in new but also coming up with a new character that represented a new part type of mother as well yes. as you go know, the one that was missing for me was that the really irritating totally together mother that, that yeah. can do everything has time for everything and and it has everything scheduled and you go mm. fuck you and her makeup right? is really perfect oh, and she's got nice socks yeah. on and, and you go, stuff where's the chink in your armor yeah. you're always looking for a chink because no god forbid you should actually have it all together so that was fun coming up with that. So the character. so the next series we have uh, a new character joining our gang. Yeah, and then next series, Fatherland. 
fatherland. <laughs> yeah. So we have one dad, don't we? We have one full-time... I hate that expression. What is it? A stay-at-home dad, I suppose, um, got, in, in the existing he's got setup. He's a part-time job in this, in this series, isn't he? So mm, yeah. he's, he's sort of juggling the way Julia was juggling in the last series. So she was representing that kind of... The sort of trauma of going, I've got a full-time job and I'm also trying to do all the other bits in between... And he's sort of gone in that direction, whereas she's kind of without giving too much away. Mm. But she she hates it. She hates she hates all the school stuff. Yeah. Whereas he loves it. Yeah. That's, that's yeah yeah. He's that's he's the difference between because her her basic situation has been throughout that she just hasn't got anywhere to put her kids while she gets on with her life. Is she? Yeah. She's got to pick them up. She's got to go to the socials. She's got yeah. to go to the party. She's got to navigate the awful mm -hmm. social situation of being one of the mums and one of the working mums, which I always found difficult when people go, "Oh, you have to work all the time, don't yeah. you? I really like being with my mm -hmm. kids." <laughs> Whatever. Putting that pressure. Oh, okay. I'm putting the pressure on herself to do all the extra things yeah. as well. You go, well, you don't have to. You can just sort of, you know, sign out and do the basic minimum. But then you probably feel terribly guilty that you haven't sort of entered the full fray of school life, whatever that is, because obviously I have that to come. But well, yeah, diving into uh, PTAs and stuff oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, being a present. Make it, making <laughs> costumes and cakes for various things. Yeah. Well, you're very good. Helen's a sort of model mother in that respect. You've She's got loads of kids, I always feel I've like. Got you about seem nine. Yeah, <laughs> at least. Something like she that. She doesn't know who of them are. <laughs> no, I, I've got two kids, but I do like having kids over and uh, because they just get on with it. They just get on with it and they, you know, they just go upstairs, whatever. I don't care what they're they do. older though, aren't they? They're kind well, of yeah, more... but always I've always felt like you know, the more kids you have over, the less you have to do, you right? Know? Right, they will just sort of and you don't have to play like with a pack them when they're, they're little. little. I totally agree that two kids is easier than one kid. In my oh, experience, God, yeah. it's really hard when they're tiny, but then Maybe it's not, much yeah. easier. It's interesting because I've got two, but mine are nine months and six. Oh. And so I'm just waiting. I'm really waiting for that moment when they start playing together. Yeah. And we haven't hit that. We're kind of almost nine hitting that. Nine months and yeah. six. So it's she's now like, my mornings are quite funny now because I'm really optimistic because I've gone back to work. So I probably am that horrible mum who's just like tearing her hair out and going nuts. And that's just a mum. That's not a horrible yeah. mum. That's yeah. just like a woman. Ones that, the ones that know the what they're yeah. doing. Yeah, yeah. I do. I put them in the room together, optimistically hoping that they'll interact. I'm trying to encourage them, and they've got bunk beds. And my only question is, at what point can you put a baby in a bunk bed? Mm. Because I'm kind of, and they're going, well, she's nine months. I think she's a little <laughs> well, bit Well, not the top one, certainly. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've just got this whole sort of fiction that I think, well, once they're together, they're going to take care of one another, and that will remove me a bit from the equation. So... But I think what? it's difficult when there's that age gap. That's quite tricky. And my kids are yeah. exactly two years apart. Yeah, they were born on the same. On oh, really? They share a birthday. Yeah. Oh my god! Oh, and, wow. it, and, and it honestly dates back. Got you out of a party, didn't it? That yeah. year. Well, it, it honestly dates back to our wedding anniversary. I was going to say, what's oh, nine months before that? <laughs> it's intercourse day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. We did it twice. <laughs> and now. No more. That's it. Oh, you don't need to show yeah. I have a friend who's like that. I think she's got pregnant every time it's her birthday. So her children are oh, all sort so of funny. around the same sort of time. They're all conceived at the same time. <laughs> birthday sex yeah. is a big thing, isn't it? Uh, yeah, apparently so. And winter sex. Lots of babies yeah. born mm. um, after winter sex because there's bugger all else to do. You can't be asked uh, to go out. Yeah. 
fair. Got to stay warm somehow. Speaking of which, not at all. Uh, I've got to go. Oh, thank you. This has been lovely. It's <laughs> great to see you. I thought it was starting an hour ago, so I was all, all set. Anyway, you're. I mean, you are your protagonist. You're doing it well. Yeah, I'm a busy mom. Uh, don't <laughs> apologize. It's I'm not fine. Apologize. I mean, I'm, I'm sad to not yeah, I know. have fun. Um, what uh, better segue in a show about motherhood to go into um, Pull Up to the Bumper, which is about anal sex, because it's really, really, <laughs> appro- it's really appropriate. Is Pull up to the bumper by Grace Jones. We've still got um, Helen Linehan, writer of Motherland on the BBC, which is back next month. And we've got Anarchy Somerville, the author of Motherwhelmed, which is already out, isn't it? It's yeah. already available it everywhere. It's already available, yeah. Um, and they're, they're pretty much on the same theme. They're about how do you navigate the head fuck and the practical nightmare that is uh, being a mother, especially in the early days. Um, but continuing with the theme of motherhood, Kate, um, <laughs> how are your feelings about having children, having seen the meme you're about to uh, describe for us? What happened? Oh, my God. Well, there is a viral video from a man named Kendall Caver in, I believe, Atlanta, Georgia, in the States. And he's posted a video of him. uh, Basically, there's his pregnant wife or girlfriend in labor. And she's literally in hospital. She's literally in the hospital in labor. And he is standing over her holding up placards like in that scene in Love Actually with Keira Knightley at the door with the to me you're perfect thing, right? And he's literally reading, like, he has the cards. He's doing the Andy and Warhol he's, he's cards doing thing. It, and it is astounding. The cards say, you are my best friend, soulmate, and in just a few pushes, you'll be the most amazing mother our daughter could ever ask for. I love you. And then he kisses her. Oh she is in the middle of fucking labor. Mm. And he's like, hold on, I just got to film this. So he said, I wanted to do something that could help take her mind off all that was happening and to help her focus on her Mm. breathing, he Mm. said. So this has had this meme, which, you know, he just happened to pop on the internet for no reason other than to make his wife feel special. Mm. And it had somewhere, when the story was initially printed, it had had over 2.5 million views on his Facebook page. He had it unlocked so that people could see it. Then it went viral on Twitter. And people reacted quite strongly either way to it. (laughs) So someone said, wow, that's the most beautiful thing I've seen all week. Someone else said, my heart just melted. They're going to be a beautiful family. Mm. Um, But then someone else said, sweet. But had my husband pulled this book out during the middle of my very long labour, I would most likely have tossed him out of the window. Classic narcissism. His wife is just a prop for his viral video, said another. Mm. So how do we feel about that? I had quite a strong reaction mm-hmm. to it, I must say. Yeah. Well, here's what I think. It's like, did you see that um, that guy, this Olympian, this woman, won a race or something? Do you know what I mean? I know exactly oh, what yeah. you're going to say, but please elaborate because I feel similarly. Okay, so, so this woman had, you know, trained... Uh, and everything led up to this race or whatever it was. I can't remember what it was, but and she won gold, 
and it was amazing. And I think on the podium or something, or as she was being interviewed, her lovely boyfriend knelt down and asked her to marry him. Mm. And so uh, this There was an identical mm. thing that happened last year as well, mm. where a woman was collecting her PhD... Yes. Yes. Um, at her graduation yep. or whatever the PhD graduation oh. is called, if it has another name, but uh, she was collecting her certificate and she went on stage to collect her PhD that she'd been working on for years mm. and her partner got up on stage as she was receiving <laughs> her certificate, got down on one knee and proposed. Yeah. Yeah. You can't help but think he's doing it purely to make himself look like a really caring, loving, yeah. romantic It's almost guy. like that's 100% correct. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, why did they bring about the same feelings in because you? Because it's, it's the power, I think. It's, it's having, you know, controlling that um, situation. Mm -hmm. Because then, you know, their partner is... It diminishes their accomplishment and Completely. puts the spotlight on him. And isn't he romantic and thoughtful? Yeah, no, and it, yeah, exactly. Who's looking at her? Who's yeah. looking at her well, pushing out this baby? It's just hit. So the camera angled at him mm -hmm. at his stupid placards. Mm. It does depend I a bit. I was thinking about what stage of labour. Because <laughs> like the last labour I had, it was very quick. It was, a, I mean, it was a very long process. It was induced, but then the last, it was an hour and twenty minutes where it was active labour. And in that time, I was completely that sort of incapacitated, roaring, pri you know, primal beast. And I sort of feel like even at that stage, if anyone, especially my partner, had tried to do something mm. like that, I would have just boxed him in the nose because I just thought this is ridiculous. Well, you know? I, I, I would have stopped proceedings and got him a fucking episiotomy. Yes. <laughs> the, yeah. thought, the thought of somebody turning... Well, first of all, there's the thing of... I just find it really depressing that the biggest day of this man's life, he's thinking about making a viral meme, which mm. he definitely was because yeah, he left yeah. it open. Thinking about himself. Go to the thinking about himself and thinking about strangers, sort mm. of thinking about people who have nothing to do with their family and the approbation that those yeah. people will give him. So that's depressing enough. But also, that's not supporting your wife is it? Yeah. No, it's not. Would you, I would feel in no way supported by that. I would feel like a prop. Mm. Yeah. Totally. I that's mean, what he's done. Yeah, In that absolutely. situation, you just want them to kind of be completely 180% focused on you and what you want. And, and not to the point, because I can't bear it. Sometimes when I, I love watching One Born Every Minute, and sometimes there's very overprotective partners there who are yes. hovering and putting flannels on people. And I'm sort of like, no, no, I wouldn't want that level. But it's just you, intuitively, you're, you're there for your partner. You're not there to sort of profile yourself and build up loads yeah. of social media likes. It just, uh, yeah. yeah, I would have been quite, well, I would have been cross, I think. I'm quite lucky because my partner's not really on social media, so he wouldn't even think about doing something like that. Well, and also because it would bring about his death, I'm sure. Yes. Like, no, <laughs> nobody, no woman I know would be able to tolerate that. No. No, no way. Absolutely I'd not. love to hear her side of it. Yeah. Yeah, because my feeling too is like, okay, maybe maybe she did find this very sweet and very moving, and maybe she was at a stage of labor where she didn't want to murder him immediately. But even then, then just have it private. Have it be a sweet moment yeah, between the two between of you. Them, it yeah. doesn't necessarily, like, maybe don't have it on yeah. a public This is Facebook him page. saying, look how brilliant look I at am. Me. I'm so brilliant. I'm thoughtful. I'm, I'm going to be a brilliant dad. It's like those dads that wear... Um, uh, those t-shirts or the babies that say yeah my dad is 
brilliant. Yeah, a lot of those in our local <laughs> oh, park. That's quite right, the, the men with well, no, the men with who wear the baby slings, yeah. but as a kind of status badge, you know. So really, sort of, you know, their chests are sort of pushed out and the baby's on the front. And I think it has become a bit of a badge of honour. Like you know, you sort of wear your baby with pride and yeah. you're showing off what a good dad you are. There, there was a period there. in. Uh, journalism where there were just loads and loads of columns about being a dad and they used to drive me and my friends completely mad because it's like okay I'm I'm definitely interested in both parents perspective Mm. but how many just normal mums get a column for having had a baby Mm. it's not a thing that you just happen to be a parent which I think still the majority of adults are that in itself is not a novelty the fact that you're a dad talking about a kid and there was this real kind of style of writing during that time that was very much you know it was a sort of recovering lad oh no I've got a baby sort of column and it would be you know (laughs) one minute I was driving a race car around Brands Hatch and the next minute I was pushing a bugaboo around Queen's Park or whatever it was and that that's not that's not enough I don't think Mm. Or it's the whole, you know, the kind of babysitting. I mean, I still get it because my oh, kids yeah. are still very little. So my partner's now doing childcare in the afternoon. So he finishes work at 2.30. Don't, don't tell me that he calls it babysitting. Well, no, so he doesn't call it babysitting, but other people say, oh, isn't that nice that he's doing the childcare? You know, that you've got him to do the childcare. And I'm like, he's not really doing the childcare. He's, he's Parenting. the father <laughs> of the children. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, it's not childcare, but... There is always this thing that they're doing you a favour. There is a trope, and actually Motherland does cover quite a lot of this stuff, Mm. doesn't it? Um, There is a trope, which is definitely true, where if you have a dad who was stay-at-home and a mummy goes out to work or you're splitting the workload or whatever, that lots of other parents, inevitably mums, because most of the parents in the schoolyard are mums, will go, oh, you're so lucky, as though he's a hero. Yeah. Mm. Totally. As That's, though he's a sort of godlike figure. You're supposed to. I know. And well then, unfortunately, done. I think there's lower standards as well. So I think, you know, I know a couple of um, stay-at-home dads, if that's what you want to call them, or just dads, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, people are surprised that they're doing very rudimentary things. It's like, oh, he's pushing them on a swing, you know. <laughs> yeah. you know he's actually bought them a snack. He knows how to tie their oh, shoes. You know, and it's kind of all those things. And it's patronising to the dad yeah. as well. Because it's like, shit, you know, I am actually an active parent here but I just think there's very low expectations this kind so if even the benchmarks we have very high expectations of motherhood and I think with dads it's kind of although oh, he's managed to make them a snack or he's you know he's, he's cooked oh, dinner. they're not covered yeah. top to toe in me, shit yeah, yeah. amazing said to me oh your partner makes them dinner he makes them dinner as well oh and he's like, so yes. good that's what my mum's thing is like oh he's he's so good isn't he look Graham making a you know making the kids pouring water into a glass onto the fucking table oh he's so brilliant oh yeah oh god anyway don't get me started no I know so Motherland started from a place of lots of that kind of stuff didn't it yeah I mean basically what how it evolved was I had a baby and I wasn't working. I didn't have a nanny. I was a nanny when when I was about um, 19 in Italy, an au pair for a year. And after that, I always thought, I I never want to have anyone else looking after my kids because I loved those kids that I looked after. Uh, Anyway, so I had a baby and uh, I realised that you're sort of thrown in with a group of people that you have nothing else in common with apart from having a baby at, the, at, 
in that same month. Mm. Uh, so breastfeeding classes or whatever, baby groups, all that kind of stuff. You're tied to these people. You see them all the time. And then when they start school, you see this group of people not once but twice a day every fucking day yeah and you need you know it's just it, it's it is your community so you need to find some something in them that uh you have in common with or you know what I mean? So that you, so it becomes. Well, it's also a bit of a cooperative community in that you kind of yeah. need each other yeah. as well. You're you not do. just stuck together. You, you totally kind of need, need each, other. each other. So you have to. And so, yeah, like in the first series of Motherland, she's like, go make friends with those kids because they've got like the, the, a thing going on with parents where, because that's why I invite kids to my house because I know that I can bank a couple of exactly. sleepovers or something for my kids at their house in you exactly. know, when, I, when I need it <laughs> and I won't feel embarrassed about saying yeah. oh could you have uh, my kids for yeah. Saturday because they owe me totally so they I can't feel say really no guilty because I've got a play date deficit you know if I had a little credit card or something because I had a baby so lots of people have done play dates with my daughter and taken her off but I haven't returned them so I sort of in the school gates I'm really oh, kind of nervous but you, there is a bit of this expectation that there is like, somebody's on three now and we've not had their kid back in return but and they I feel really know. guilty but I'm also because I'm quite overwhelmed with stuff yeah so I feel like oh my god I'm I think you just have to say you know? just Babies say look I'm really excuse. aware that we've had that you've had my kid yeah and I've got so much going on, but I haven't forgotten. Yeah. And I just think you say, and it's yeah. fine. People yeah. get yeah, it. Nine month old, you said? Yeah. They yeah. should, I mean, I'm sure that they, if they have multiple kids, they probably know as well. Like, it's good to say and I to get it out in the open because it'll say. probably make yeah. you feel better, it's but they probably know dynamic. she has a lot. You know, whether you get the parent over or not, because I don't know, it's funny you're talking about sort of female friends and mums. Yeah. For me, I'm kind of like, I, I prefer it actually if they drop the kid off. Oh, God. Because then you can go and do your thing. Oh, this is the best thing. It's an awkward thing where actually they're like oh yeah and I'll come over too no. and if it's a mum that you don't particularly <laughs> you're like, have any no. sort of then you're <laughs> catering for not only a kid but an adult yeah, and yeah. then yeah. you're thinking yeah. about the state of your house which you're not if it's just the kid yeah. you don't care you worry exactly. about the loo and if mm. anyone's done a poo in it mm. and if you yeah. gleamed it and then you worry about sort of dust and worry about the crumbs under the table so the, I just want them to drop and the run. single yeah. most liberating moment in the lives of all mothers I think of school age kids is when your kids are old enough to dump at a party or dump at yeah. a house yeah. and there's no expectation that you stand at the party and drink the warm wine and chat and I think everybody is feeling the same thing that's what you don't realize at the time until afterwards mm. you realize that everybody didn't want to be there as mm. much as you didn't want to be there I think I don't know. I think there are some sadists in that <laughs> kind of group that enjoy coming round and drinking and you know mm. and staying for ages. Mm. But like I think it's it's also quite well. So my experience of of dads like there was one stay at home dad in our little group and our our kids were really good friends, um, but you know they're just not really welcome. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you would have like you would. Th there were a couple of people that I really like and I not like, you know, you can sit down and not talk about your kids. Something different like music or cinema or something like that. Mm. Interesting stuff. And then a dad will come and, you know, want to stay. And you're just like, 
Ooh, I was going <laughs> to tell them about, you know, you the don't... state of my stitches. Yeah, or yeah. Or you've, I've just had a coil fitted. Or, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, and you can't, and suddenly it becomes. Well, it's just like a man sitting down anyway when you're yeah, having a chat with I your friend, and it's not him, necessarily no. like I. Yeah, I mean, that's where Kevin comes from, really, is that he's in Motherland, the stay at home dad. He, Paul Reedy plays him brilliantly. He, he's just unwelcome. I know, and I feel so sorry for him because he so desperately wants to be part of that female. He's circle. like a puppy dog, isn't he, in yeah. that circle? And he's trying to reach out, but there'll always be a bit of a barrier there. I know I do know dads like that, but I think where we are, they all they, they do sit together. There's a little posse dads, of three or four right. dads in the park. We have a park where everyone goes. And they're really funny because they sit strategically next to the ice cream van. It comes <laughs> on a Friday and it's bedlam because the bells go off and all the kids start to run. Yeah. And these three dads sit near the exit and sprint. It's like a kind of Olympian sport to get to the ice cream van, get the ice creams first before the queue arrives of people. You could make Competitive daddies. <laughs> yeah. So they, they, so found contrived. Their own, they found their own little group, I guess, because probably they found that they've their been own excluded. Purpose. Yeah, from, from the mum's chat. But then, but then you live in London. I wonder if there's a stay-at-home dad in lots of places, he will literally be the only one for several years at the school gate, I yeah, reckon. I, I think so. in, in London it's a slightly different... It's very difficult. I remember going to a group with my first baby and it was all about breastfeeding and, you know, we were in this... We were all sat together. I wasn't really successful with breastfeeding. It was a bit of a disaster and I was very weepy and tired and probably had a bit of postnatal depression. Mm. I wasn't really dealing with things well. And a woman had brought her husband along to the group so that the two of them were sat there. And I think no, he, no. he no. felt desperately uncomfortable yeah. because women were in the very early stages of breastfeeding. Oh, is it nightmare? It's very hard. You're trying to get into yeah. a latch. You're, you're sort of tired. You're oh, I was fine with all of that. Well, yeah, it works and it doesn't. And, and, but he was very uncomfortable because everyone had their boobs out. And it was before the days mm. when you had these very excessive shawls that you kind of pulled over I yourself. would say that, that, that a breastfeeding group is a safe space for yes. women i would not take a man to a breastfeeding to group trying desperately not to, he was trying to be right on i think he was trying to be supportive to his partner but then he sure. was also kept looking down all the time like you would because yeah. it's quite a curious thing to watch but i don't know i sort of felt that was one environment where i was like actually this is should just be yeah. well he can only so do so much there yes so like yeah. kind yeah. of what? like what yeah. what can they do yeah. nothing feel <laughs> pass the past pass a bag of nuts over <laughs> So the, mo- the, the the really um, like my favourite character in in Motherland is Diane Morgan's character oh, because she's the sort of goals mum I think in that she's very chill yeah about things and she's not embarrassed to get things wrong she's not embarrassed that it's a bit of a mess sometimes that it's yeah. not perfect but she manages to hold her shit together while still being quite kind of chill and chaotic yeah about she's things. total she's our mother hack she's the one that can can come and and. Just work it out quickly, and and it's it's the one character that most of my mum friends say to me, "If that's me, isn't it?" Because she is, I, I'd say she is the most likable character out of the bunch of them, and because of that, loads of my friends think I've based it on them. Like, no, I fucking haven't. <laughs> you're like, no, you're the other one. you're the absolute mentalist. <laughs> I love that multiple people think that it's them. They're like, "That's me, isn't it?" <laughs> yeah. But but so but there is, there are elements of all of us in her yeah. in all of the characters anyway. But um, 
My brilliant thing that I gave to Liz was the birthday party, which was the first episode of, of the first I series. I love that episode. And uh, so when I have kids, so my kids were born, they had the same birthday and it's in July. So it's always warm and hot. Mm. And uh, so I can always have a party in the garden. So I don't have to hire anywhere, mm. anything like that. But then I quickly realised that you know, kids kids want to come in and mess about in your house sometimes or, you know, whatever. So I just put signs up that say, you know, wet paint or <laughs> high voltage or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or Electric yeah, fence. Yeah, <laughs> things like that. And they don't go near anything. So we can have, like, you know, water fights or whatever because it's that hot and stuff and, and none of them will come in, even to use the toilet. <laughs> Incredible. They can just hold hold it until yeah. their mum comes. Because I always think, I always think when I'm watching it, I always say to my husband, I always think Diane Morgan's character is you. Oh, that's so I, I, lovely. Because no, that's it is how, really. Because <laughs> that's how I imagine you, just kind of quite unflappable, quite chill, and easygoing, and it's all right if it goes a bit mm. wonky. What I love about her Aww. is that she's. She has all these. Sorry, I just dropped stuff. She has some hacks, doesn't she? Because she has yeah. sort of things that she can do. Um, which make parenting a lot easier. And I suppose because so much of parenting is quite neurotic, she's yeah. the opposite. She's yeah. not neurotic, that yeah. That is such a relief to sort of... If, I mean, I've got a friend who's very much like her, and I just think every time I spend a bit of time with her, it's almost like I've taken the pressure valve off the top of my head and mm. all the steam's come out, because she's essentially just going, no, it doesn't matter, it's fine. You know, yeah. Everything's OK, don't yeah. worry. And as long uh, as everyone's alive, that's yeah. my policy. Is totally. If everyone's alive, then that's fine. But then... I don't know. It, it, it's always balancing, isn't it? You're always balancing things, and sometimes, you know, I can be super neurotic, and then you realise, oh, actually, it's just a play group. I'm if I'm late, it doesn't matter. I remember like steaming down the road with my pram, like, oh fuck, I'm going to be late with this yeah. fucking play group. <laughs> Hold on a second. <laughs> what? Yeah, I'm paying for it. it London can yeah. do that to you though, because yeah. I live in Norfolk now. <laughs> smug face but um <laughs> and it's a lot less That's a dream, isn't it? it's a lot less it's a lot yeah but when you say that they're all stuck together I think the reason so I I normally don't watch anything to do with parenting motherland is literally the first thing I've ever watched really voluntarily about parenting since I've had children because so for example when I had small children everybody used to watch outnumbered I'd mm. see people talking about it on Twitter and I never ever ever wanted to go near it because when my kids are finally asleep and finally like peaceful and everything the toys are away and everything's kind of chilled the very last thing I wanted to do yeah. was turn on the telly and see and Your see life. kids mm. being cheeky or charming yeah. or, or whatever it is and I never watch one born any minute because I really as much as I liked being pregnant and I liked giving birth, I'm never going to do it again. I'm just kind yeah. of out of the zone. I don't mm. watch the stuff. Yeah. But the reason I think um, Motherland is really interesting is because to me it, it plays out like an office drama, an office comedy. Okay. So to me it's more like something set in the workplace mm. because... It's, but it is a the, workplace. It is mm. a workplace, mm. exactly. They're all completely trapped together, yes. these disparate people with nothing in common except that they have to be together because of the path their life... Yeah. has taken yeah. it's got much more in common i think mm. with that kind of that slightly claustrophobic yeah panic, panicky anxiety of being a parent but i think um i think you know the 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 the, the parenting well god what was i going to say i had something really brilliant to say then i've forgotten <laughs> what it was 
um, you were saying about oh. the, their dynamic. It is work. It, yeah. It, oh yeah, no, it's totally work. It is the workplace. Oh, I'll come. I'll, I'll remember it in a second. I'll put a record on while you think. Let's Brilliant. have some Khalees. That was Khalees and Trick Me. Uh, Sally Hughes and Kate Sevilla still here. We've still got Helen Linehan, one of the um, co-creators and co-writers on Motherland. And we've got Anarchy Somerville, who wrote Motherwhelmed, um, a new-ish book. It hasn't been out very long, in fact. It hasn't. And it's, got, it's, um, it's come out on digital first, and then it will be paperback. So, um, yeah, it feels like I've been working on it for a long, long time. Um, and it's interesting, you're making the comparisons with kind of work versus kind of being a mum and, and staying with lots of mums because it is about a character who's working in a corporate environment and it's essentially, I suppose it's that modern thing of trying to do everything. So she's got a, a young child, she's got a relationship that she feels like she's not entirely happy with. Um, she's kind of got work colleagues who are all much younger than her. They're all kind of millennial sort of generation. So she feels kind of out of sync with what's going on. And she's still got this kind of... And she's also dealing with ageing, because I think that's the thing, is that you get to a point in your life... I think someone said to me it's like being in the rush hour, where everything seems to be coming at you at the same time, but you're also trying to deal with stuff like, God, I'm actually getting quite old, and you know, and I'm, I'm dealing with some health issues. I had kids really late, so most of my contemporaries and people I went to school with... They all had their kids. I mean, their kids are all teenagers now. And I call them up and they're going, what the hell's going on? I, don't, I can't remember about baby feeding or I don't remember. You know, it's all... Because you tend to do that, I think. You tend to just cast it all into the dark recesses of your brain and you don't want to think about it anymore. So it's all it's about like when that. you go home pissed you can't remember how you got home yeah. <laughs> like by, the, by the time you know when you wake up it's all a kind of distant yeah. memory I mean, one of the issues I have you know is with technology I didn't grow up as a digital native so I kind of I still find it I'm on social media and I do it a lot and I used to you know it used to be a bit of my job as well but I, I find it really hard to focus on screens you know my eyesight is going I don't quite understand so I've gone back to a work environment now and it's just things like remembering passwords. So the character in the book, Rebecca, she has a nursery where the nursery has a platform where you have to log in in order to get an update on how oh, your yeah. kid's doing. And that was kind of based on something that happened to me, which they, I think somebody sent me a text message to say that my daughter had had an injury but wouldn't tell me over the phone what the injury was in a text message. <laughs> you just log and in said, and log in to find out more. You need to log into the platform, they said. And I could never remember. Oh, and I'm still sake. the same now. I'm overwhelmed with passwords. A password for a laptop, for my phone, for my work phone, for this bloody nursery platform. Did you use the same one, one, two, three, four? <laughs> I used to use the same one. But it's just that sort of constant anxiety and stress. And um, I think she's just wondering whether what is this what life is all about? Because essentially there is a point where you're sort of like, shit, this is actually really hard. And I think it probably is the distinction of having young kids because I'd heard from people anecdotally that it was quite tough. Um, and I think it's probably been amplified a little bit for me and for Rebecca as well, who's loosely based on me, um, being in my 40s and doing it. Because my all my friends, it's so funny when we meet up, old school friends, they're all just like, you know, Prosecco, you know, their kids are like 15, 16. Mm. The conversations are completely different. It's all about what they're posting on Instagram and where they're going and whether they're smoking spliff and all of that stuff. 
Whereas I'm still dealing with kind of teething and mm, kind of, you God. know, weaning and all of that stuff. Um, so it's, it's an interesting one. And I think that the notion of being mother whelmed, I think, uh, I mean, a lot of the women I know, whether they're mothers or not, do have this off this sense of kind of just constantly running on empty and sort of mm. just feeling like they're well and feeling like you're doing everything slightly shitly instead of one <laughs> yeah. thing well yeah so I was saying like yesterday because I've just gone back to work doing four days a week and I, everything was going wrong for me so I was trying to push the baby to the childminder and then the, the, the strap of the bag got caught under the wheel and the whole buggy just kind of oh. fell into the side of the road and luckily I just managed to avert that but then I had to get an uber because I was running late and the, the thing of my anorak got stuck in the car door and I almost got pulled along the side <laughs> of the road. You sound like Julia in my <laughs> But I was basically like, but that's my kind of average day. And then the whole day, because the weather's been so peculiar, as the day progresses, my hair becomes progressively more larger and larger and crazier. And I think back to my own mum had two girls when she was in her 40s, so I've got two younger sisters. And I used to always think, God, you know, her hair is just a disaster because I was a teenager. <laughs> and she'd walk out of the house and her hair would be like this. And, and I didn't understand. She'd have toothpaste just in the corner of her mouth and she'd be trying to push two kids to, to childcare. And now I just think, fuck. I'm just doing exactly the same thing. I, I just think, repeated the same pattern. You yeah, know? and I think what's interesting is that you have more and more women that are having children later in life. And it's like what you were talking about, Helen, with, oh, fuck, I'm surrounded by all of these women. I'm stuck with them. And the yeah. only thing we have in common is that we have children. And then you have women who are then older, mm. so, you know, late 30s, early 40s, and then women who are maybe in their younger 20s. Mm. Again, the only link being that you have children. Mm. And it's like... That's just a whole other mindfuck of like how to connect with people. Yeah, like, and I had a lovely friendship this time round with, you know, me being in my forties, and I met another mum, and I just clocked her immediately in a group, and I knew I thought you are my kind of woman, mm. and she's probably twelve years younger than me, and she's still in the kind of going out at night and drinking, and you know I've kind of abandoned most of that, and we set up this odd little partnership, and we're we're friends really. Yeah. And I think, nevertheless, even though we've come out of the real haze of the early baby days, I think we'll kind of stay like that because we're kind of we've got quite a lot in common with one another. There is that funny thing, though, isn't there, Helen? When you when you kind of lock eyes with one mother <laughs> and you see each other, don't yeah. you? There's just it's a like, moment. Yeah, I used to describe it to Graham as trying to find a boyfriend. It's like trying, it's, it's like courting. Yeah, you'll do something. Like you know, I remember this woman. We lived in Ireland for a little bit and. I was desperate to find a friend, a soulmate yeah. with a baby. And this woman come round, came round to my house and I gave, you know, I gave our babies lunch. <laughs> and she suddenly she was just really weird because I cleaned the, you know, Wendy was covered in whatever, carrot, mush or something. <laughs> And I just wiped her hands and she was like, oh, God, just let let them be dirty, you know, just, you know, what's the problem? <laughs> Chill out. I thought, oh, fuck, well, I'm splitting up with you. <laughs> yeah, we're done. You know, that, this that, is over. It is totally like courting. It's like a love affair. Because you, think... you probably spend more time yeah. with these people than you do with your yeah. lover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In those early days, yeah. you were desperate for a friend. So with this particular woman I was texting her all the time to say what are you doing tomorrow what are we going to do tomorrow what are we going to mm. do tomorrow and if she blew me out I felt worse than kind of a date but that's what Helen's you know? saying isn't it because it's like when you're younger and you meet a bloke and it's like how many times is too much to text yeah. how, you know I don't want to appear needy I want to be a little bit cool. order. Mm. and it is the same yeah. thing of trying to kind of woo 
yeah. a partner. But sometimes you get a moment where you're like, oh, thank God. I remember there was one mum, she actually um, ended up moving abroad probably to get away from me. Um, <laughs> she she had a little boy in our school and I've got teenagers now, but I think my eldest was maybe four or five. And she and I, after sports day, she said, oh, do you, fan- do you fancy going to the pub? and having a glass of wine with the kids to a beer yeah. garden. Mm. Yeah. Do you fancy going to the pub? Yes. And I cannot tell you, at that time, Did you the break thought down of tears? somebody <laughs> at school saying, do you fancy going to the pub? Yeah. I would never have conceived that such a thing was yeah. ever possible. Amazing. And I was like, yeah, That's yeah, so I do nice. want to do that. Yeah. And we went and sat in a beer garden and the kids played, because of course that's easier because they've got a friend. And we sat and we had a bottle of white wine and it was like one and, of the best moments of my motherhood. And then did you say, do you want to smoke some crap? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. And then she emigrated. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's and why you, she had to go. <laughs> uh, it's, um, she was on the run. This is what parents do in, in uh, my wow. neck of the woods, which well, I have been what, to they, some. D- they suck helium. Yes. Yeah. Tell us about that, because well, I, I feel like I, that's I a left like field. It's, it's something that I think kids do, like kids have done. But I have been at a couple of parties, not where kids have been present necessarily, but with other parents, where someone has kind of ushered me into a small cupboard where the washing machine is and said, do you want to do helium? What? And it just made me laugh, because... Um, Okay. I'm do you want to do that? <laughs> How do you, so you do that as a kid? Because it sounds funny, not because you're high. He's on it. Right, I think I have got the right thing, but it just—it it feels really funny. But I think with parenting, it's so monotonous sometimes that there are. It's, it's, it's like he's sucking a balloon <laughs> yeah. really sadly. Yeah. <laughs> People will try anything. It's come to this. Yeah. Just don't have anything fun. else. We're out of weed. Do you want some helium? I mean, I don't want to kind of display my immaturity, but I do find people talking on helium really funny. It's yeah. hilarious. I, I, it's, it's one so of those funny. things that's always funny. I can't say I have done it since you last Tuesday. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's been a couple of very young. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, like, my version of that was just having, you know, someone say, I've got some cigarettes. <gasps> oh, <yeah>. menthol. <laughs> oh, my God. Mum have a little... The vague menthols. I've actually got, I have got a packet of cigarettes in my knicker drawer. I mean, I haven't smoked for about three years, but there are the odd occasion where I just think, oh, you know, because yeah. it's so hedonistic. Like, oh, a cigarette, yeah. proper cigarette. Um, and I haven't done it, but it's just because you don't really do any of that stuff anymore. Apart from yeah. I mean, what I will say is that a world does open up as your kids get older. It changes, God, doesn't it? Yeah. It changes really dramatically. I think, like, having teenagers, I think our kids are roughly in the same ballpark, aren't they, age-wise, um, as Helen. I think that they they need you almost more than they did as toddlers, but in a very different way well they sort of need you to ignore you like they yes. need you in the house they want you in the house or mm. they want you sitting next to them so that they can not talk to you yeah and you kind of have to be there for when they feel like talking otherwise you miss your window for yeah. months but you better get it right what you say to them yeah so i've got you've got two boys i've got a girl and a boy and yeah. my girl is older and yeah it's bloody minefield it's Ter- terrifying but what it's interesting when then. she so she's in year 10 when she was about to year, start year seven my friend said to me because I, I you know I pick I pick them up drop them off I still do that even though they're 12 and 14 that's nice but um my friend said oh you know once once she starts senior school her friends become more important than her family and that's it's true that struck my heart mm. and turned it to ice <laughs> 
Yeah. And it's true, though. And it's true. It's true. Yeah. Oh, my God, it's true. But now, I, but my bribes now are, you know, are great because I can just say, OK, well, you're not going to your theatre group with all your stupid friends on Saturday. And that will break her heart. And that's how I can get her to tidy her bedroom or whatever. Mm. You know, as before, you know, just be these loose little threats. But now her little friends are her family mm. and... They'll come back together, about they? I think they so. Yeah. I, I think, think so. Once, once she has a baby, yeah. <laughs> she, she, she might, yeah, in her forties, <laughs> when she realised, then she might realise that you know all the shit I went through mm. with her. Well, I mean, I don't have kids, but I've done a lot of psychotherapy, and oh. <laughs> what, what I've learned about teenagers, um, just from like thinking about their perspectives, like what you were saying, Sally, I think is is really true. It's the whole point of that sort of era and what you should have is a robust set of parents or even just one parent who you can kick against, who you can rebel against, who you can experiment and figure out who the fuck you are. Mm. You need them there as a kind of sounding board and a silent entity sometimes so that you can rail against them and learn, oh, they're not going to retaliate against me. They're going to be there for me. They're, that's the whole purpose of yeah, that. And it's I, painful I for think both. I was sort of steeled for that. I I thought, and, and I have to say, I, I love having teenagers. I really am enjoying it. Like I, We get on really well. We're really close. It's all With great. Boys. <laughs> yeah. Um, and mine are, in fact, exactly the same age as your yeah. kids. Um, my eldest is going to be 15 in May. And same thing as you. Friends are everything, especially for the, for the 14-year-old. Um, but... I think we have this kind of teenage archetype in our head where we think, well, teenagers are going to be really arsy, they're going to shout a lot, they're going to be really grumpy. That hasn't particularly happened, but loads of other stuff has happened mm. that you don't hear about. The sort of the refusal to talk about things and trying to eke meaningful conversations out and trying to get them to admit when something's not quite right, when something's going on at school or when something's going on in a friendship group. If you're not there the minute they decide to open up about it, mm. it could be another six months. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And as you say, if you screw it up, yeah. if they open up and you say the wrong thing... Yeah. Well, I've got this thing at the moment... God, this is such a terrible thing to say, but I've got this thing at the moment because Wendy's very... My daughter is very... Um, susceptible to a lot of stuff and there's a lot of mental health uh, assemblies mm. happening and there's yeah. a lot there's, it's almost like they give if the person hosting the assembly about mental health whatever subject it is they have to you know they have to be skilled and I had this thing with Wendy's school where the PE teacher gave this assembly and it was essentially saying Here's a menu of all the different things that you might like to try out on your parents. OCD, anxiety, panic attacks. It's sort of, that's kind of what it was like. These are all the things. If you feel like you have something like that, then write it down and put it in the little box at the end of the assembly. It was essentially like that. And so Wendy kind of went through... Uh, oh, God, I hope she never listens to this. She went through, like... Um, you know, she dabbled in a bit of uh, panic attacks. Mm -hmm. uh, totally not. She, you know, she's just testing the water, bit of OCD and stuff. And and she said to me the other day, you know, I'd really like to go and see a doctor. <laughs> I was saying to mm -hmm. Graham, 
should we get an actor <laughs> to, to just pretend to be a doctor? You're absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. Okay. Okay, fine. Let's put that to bed. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. I mean, these yeah. assemblies, they are essential, but if they're mishandled, oh my God, mm. especially with girls. Of, oh my yeah, God. I mean, hard. the use of diagnoses and you have ADHD. You have yeah, this. You oh. have, there's... Uh, like yes those are very real conditions and do exist however they also exist so that insurance companies know what box to put you in and sometimes you get shoved into a box just because well it's easier for us to treat you because we know that you have x y and z and then we're going to give you these pills and then good night you know that sort of thing it's so hard with mental health because language Language really matters in positive and negative Mm. ways. I think sometimes we hand people words for things that that then allows them to create something from the ground up that wasn't already there. If you're a teenage kid, girl, then then they lap it up. I thought I had um, histrionic personality disorder because I was depressed. And right. Google is this, existed at this point. Yeah. And I had seen Girl Interrupted and new personality disorders were a thing. Mm. And so then I was like, well, which, I'm sad, very, very, very sad. Which personality disorder do I have? Yeah. And that mm. seemed like the right one. So I was like, well, fuck. It's hard for them, though. It's hard, isn't it? Because they live in a society that is now really diagnostic Mm -hmm. and really, you know, wants to put people in boxes and and runs after the latest things. It's hard for them. They don't understand. Because I think post second baby, I definitely had, I had a lot of runaway sort of um, heart palpitations and sort of that horrible crunchy stomach thing. You know, Mm -hmm. where your stomach just feels like it's kind of tied in Mm. a ball all the time. And so I was diagnosed with anxiety because I, I basically went to... Well, someone suggested that I get in touch um, with the NHS and I had anxiety and I had some counselling sessions. But for me personally, I found that whenever I would go, oh, I'm having an anxiety attack. Oh, my God, I'm having an anxiety attack. And the very word, the anxiety, was bringing it. on the anxiety. Um, and my mum sort of... I mean, she's very helpful in that respect. So we're very similar. And she just said that's your personality like you have quite a nervy personality and I'm not saying there isn't any such thing as anxiety because there obviously is obviously, but for yeah. me personally the diagnosis that yes. I had anxiety and that I was made you anxious confirmed made me it, feel yeah. very anxious and then I started to read a lot of books about anxiety um, and I'm still reading books on it now and I'm really interested in the whole area but then mm. also I found someone else said to me stop reading the books and read The Economist for a couple of weeks or just stop reading the books and do something else because you're getting very preoccupied with yeah, your anxiety. Yeah, because it's not an anxiety-inducing time in politics at all. It's really yeah. super chill. So I, no, <laughs> really I'd go quiet. meet people and say, I've got anxiety, you know, I've definitely got anxiety. And it became a, the only thing I could talk and think about. Mm. And the morning was spent kind of, am I anxious this morning? I think I am quite anxious. Oh, well, I've definitely got the anxiety. Let's put the news on. <laughs> yeah, it's a great time. Let me check Twitter. Like that. Um, so it's, it's interesting the labelling because now I've taken a step back and I've just gone do you know what you are going to feel like that quite a lot because that's just modern life you are going to feel like that I think but as well the language can be really helpful in that I don't think our mother's generation I think loads of them had postnatal depression and Mm. were just told they had the blues or whatever and were kind of ignored and I think it's quite empowering for women now to be able to say as they sometimes can I'm really really depressed Mm. I was a lunatic after my first baby I was an absolute lunatic I was really happy after the second one but the first time I was mad completely mad and my girlfriends and I always say if we know somebody even if we don't know her that well who's just had a baby if she does mad 
things and says mad things. It's like, as far as I'm concerned, she gets a free pass for a good four years because yeah. I was nuts. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think everyone's a little bit nuts after that. I mean, yeah. I, I do remember pulling my hair out, literally a clump of hair in my <laughs> fist with my second baby because he just wouldn't sleep and I was so tired. Yeah. Which is a form of madness in yeah. itself. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's a torture. It's a really yeah. serious thing. Yeah. yeah. So I was pretty, yeah, we all are, aren't we? And it's it's a relief when you go to someone's house, like when you find solace in another mum that you meet that you meet and they invite you over to their house. Oh my god. And their house is filthy and you think, oh, mm-hmm. oh that's just so yeah. nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyone's house I'm like a little bit of clutter. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, yeah well, you, you can think, just... oh my God. You're normal. She's like me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I always wonder what's the boundaries of that? Because I know that I was Sometimes really well, shit on thing. the wall is a no-no. <laughs> on your, sort of Rats. Like, on is your it? fingers, <laughs> on your fingers, it's okay. When you're cleaning babies' nappies, I have been in scenarios where I've had sort of mums, and I've inadvertently, I haven't quite realised I'm in a baby group. I've come out of a baby change situation, and there is some fecal matter, maybe on my hand or on a finger or something. And that, that to me, I'm kind of like that is probably the bound pushing the boundary, even with a good friend. That's they're pretty, like, you're, yeah. You're, you know, so no you shit on the wall. Right. On your hand there. Yeah. I mean, shit's a line in lots of situations. It you really don't is. want to cross, isn't it? Yeah, no, say. it is. Yeah, but at the beginning yeah. of your book, In Motherwhelmed, I think you describe that panicky anxiety, but kind of suppressing it and going, oh, well, you know, I'm I'm fine, or what is this feeling, and not mm. really kind of understanding mm. what it is. Because mm. it feels, the beginning of the book feels quite claustrophobic, Rebecca's yeah. thoughts. A few people have said that, and uh, I found, I mean, because she's just thinking there's so much mind churn going on and there's so many tabs open. And I think, you know, certainly for her, she's got the whole work chapter of her life with all Mm. those kind of things firing off. And then there's the kind of parental neurosis and then there's the kind of relationship neurosis and the fact that she hasn't had sex with her partner for a long time and she's worrying about that. And then there's the aging thing. And I mean, if you look at it, it's a bit of a recipe for a perfect storm. I mean, essentially, when you throw all of those elements into a mix... um, you're going to get somebody who is, you know, going to lose it now and then and yeah. sort of feel as if they're going to fly off the handle at the drop of a hat. Well, you cover the shagging thing in Motherland, don't you? The, the, the various mums all have something slightly different going yeah. on yeah. sexually. Yes, all the different... Well, you know, I don't think Julia has sex with her husband because he's never there. And Liz just tries to get it when she can. Yeah. But yeah. Yes. And then there's the slightly odd, the slightly odd marriage with the really kind yes. of Stepford, um, with Amanda, um, yeah, uh, Amanda Lucy Punch is yeah. so brilliant. Yeah, she's, she's so, so brilliant. brilliant. Um, and there's something kind of slightly sinister and weird going on with her husband, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, where they've been having threesomes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Not that I don't accept your threesomes if you're listening and you have threesomes, but, um, <laughs> yeah, totally but yeah, they all, they all have something slightly <laughs> different going on. And I think that the sex thing is so key in how you're handling it as well post baby, because on the one hand you kind of need a rest and, and it's all about the baby. But on the other hand, sex is very often the thing that stops you attacking your partner yeah. with a claw hammer. It softens things, <laughs> For doesn't example. it? Softens, softens. Yeah. <laughs> Softens the tension, in, in, but who, you know, who wants to have sex when they've just had a baby no. flop out of them? <laughs> there, is, there is something funny that happens, though, where you sort of, I think there's still almost a schoolgirlishness where you sort of, we project it onto other dads. So in our local area, some of the mums will talk about the sort of the hot dads. So there's like oh, in yeah. the school. 
And it, I think because quite a few of us are probably not having brilliant sex lives. And so we're probably still getting the urge, but we're projecting it onto different. And it's quite, I mean, it's quite sexist because essentially we're sort of going, you know, there's a top Diet Coke break. Of yeah. Of, of, hot, of hot dad talent. <laughs> top 10. Top Where do you live? <laughs> do you live in like LA or. No, you, you know what? You know what's really sad? Muscle Beach. Yeah, I think for me, it's like, it's, it's just, it's a nice pastime because, you know, motherhood is sometimes, certainly the baby stage can be quite monotonous. And so sometimes if you're sat in the park, I just like to think, if I was going to shag someone in the park now, <laughs> who would it be? You know, oh, and where would oh, it that be? Game. In those what toilets would, with that ranger. Like? The park <laughs> shagging dad and, game. Yeah. Ice cream van. As long as you sort of ignore friends' park. The one with the ice cream. Um, yeah. But it's, it's funny because people do go, oh, did you see him on his bike? And there's kind of a few dads who get a lot of references. And then I get people saying to me, <laughs> did you see my... him on his bike? <laughs> it's very oh, sorry. yeah, bike dad. Love bike dad. There's always my partner in this group. And I said, no, no, partners are kind of, they're off the record. But it's uh, sad because I sort of feel like we're, because we're probably not very intimate with our partners because we're tired and there's all other stuff going on. We are sort of projecting. We're trying to indulge ourselves a little bit with a bit of fun. That's all right. That's fine. Yeah. A little bit of God, the dad justification. There's a dad that drops his kids off. This was when the kids were in primary school. He would have one of them on the bar of his BMX, right? And he'd drop the kid off and then he'd cycle off not holding the handles, but with his hands in his pocket. Mm. Oh, fuck oh, off. God. <laughs> How cool. What a hot dad. You know, in his jogging pants. Michael Jackson dangling the baby over yeah. a balcony. <laughs> yeah. Well, the skateboarding dad. So the dad, he's basically like, you know, 52, but is still skateboarding. Still so there's quite a few of those. Midlife crisis dad, you yeah. mean. Yeah, and like actually properly wounded, you know, got big scabs <laughs> on his knee because he's been trying out some skateboarding <laughs> skills and... And his wife is just looking really tired, tired. and embarrassed. Like, when are you going to go out? Of this, <laughs> There's a lot of that in Motherland, isn't there? Because mm. Julia's husband is like doing outdoor pursuits and on rugby tours mm. and and stag nights and yeah, off and having loads and loads of fun. And it's almost as though he's never had children at yeah, all. Yeah, exactly. Um, and she's she's there to kind of try and make it all work. How? What is the writing process then? Because you sound like you're properly in the eye of the storm. In terms of you've still got a little baby, you're just going back to work, you've had a bit of anxiety, mm. knackered and all of that. Helen's got two kids and between you, Helen's co-written several yeah. now series of a sitcom and you've written a book. So what does your day look like? How do you make that work? I hate the juggling question, but at the same time, no, I always want to know. interesting. How you get it done? I think mm. just not at home. Not do you home. have to get out? I have to get out. I mean, I can do it. I mean, I remember having a Skype with Sharon and Holly and Barunka and my dog came into where I was sitting uh, and did a poo. So this is Holly Walsh and Sharon Horgan yeah. and Barunka who was here at the top of the show. Uh, the dog just did a poo on yeah. the floor. And we know that shit is where the line is drawn. Yeah. So, so I know that if I... That could have happened without me being there and it would have waited for me to, you know, to, but I had to get up and clean it up then, yeah. you know, because it's things. It but yeah, and I've got to get out because there's stuff to do, you know, I mean, washing and all that boring stuff. And I just can't help but just tidy away or I have to get out, just get out. So what would you do? Go to like a coffee shop or... Yeah, well, so strangely, I have a little shop in Norwich. Yes. Uh, I was going to bring you guys a little 
present from it, but I'll send I it mean, to you. I mean, that would have been a lovely thought, wouldn't Sorry, it? But, but you I didn't do totally it. So. Forgot. Um, <laughs> but um, I, when we moved to Norwich from London, um, I thought, well, I need to do something. I need to do something. And I, uh, and so I, the, the, the motherland kind of coincided with me getting a shop because I thought no one's going to want to read this. No one's going to be bothered. But Graham saw my all my ideas and my notes. And that's how bizarrely I have a shop. And then I was commissioned to do a series for the BBC, which was really weird. So I would go into my shop and use that as like an office. And then you get the odd person coming in to interrupt me. <laughs> I'm running um, a show for the BBC. Can you please? Yeah, I love a local shop where a shopkeeper's furious that you're <laughs> yes. in there buying stuff. Yeah, clearly interrupting. Basil Faulty of yeah. interior yeah. shops. <laughs> um, so I would I use that as my little office. That's what I do. And mm. then because you're all mothers, aren't you, on the show? All the writers are mothers. Yeah, I mean Holly became a mother after the first series, I think, and now she's got two. And so are you all kind of sharing ideas digitally? Because that's a bit yeah. of a revolution for mums, isn't it? The, the way that we can work remotely yeah. like that. Yeah, totally. We do that. So what we do is we have like this board of ideas. We use this uh, app called Trello where yeah. we just filter our... That's great. Splurge all our ideas into it and then we filter it off into um, characters, try and work out some sort of series arc... And then we write three episodes per couple. So my, me and Veronica, Sharon and Holly, and then we swap them over and nice. yeah, and then we just chisel it in when we can. Sometimes. And so when you swap, do you then tart up each other's we, scripts? Yeah, we um, yeah, we we just pass notes ple pleasantly. Yeah. Of course, <laughs> of course, um, and politely, and then. You know, and then, yeah, and then we we just try and work it out. And it's, sometimes it's hard to cut other people's jokes or, you know, it's it's quite, it can be, a, you've got to tiptoe a little bit. It's but a lot of people working on. Yeah, yeah, so four women all in sync with their periods. All writing about something <laughs> that's very personal in yeah, a way. Yeah, exactly. And all coming from different types of you know, communities, really, because Sharon's kids go to, I think they're in private school. Holly's kids are t only tiny, and mine go to, like, a, the mm. local school. So it's, yeah, it's it's all... And Barunka's has just started school as well, so we're all f on different levels. Like, mm. with you, you're, you've got a foot in both um camps mm. with the baby and a six-year-old mm. and an office I haven't timed it well at all <laughs> i mean it's funny because I, I i love the idea of because for me it's been it's been fairly lonely i mean i wrote a book with um lisa williams we did a, a, a sort of non-fiction book about sex which yeah. came out this mm. year called more orgasms please and that mm. was very <laughs> can, you, can you just tell me that again i'm just going to write it down <laughs> <laughs> more orgasms okay, please but that was very collaborative and i did that while i was pregnant so and actually funnily enough it was a marvelous time because i wasn't working i was i was pregnant i had enough money to tick by i was fine and we wrote and we, we it worked really well she would write a chapter she'd send it to me i would edit it we would edit each other's work she's very very on it in terms of facts and rigor and i'm just a bit silly so together we made a good a good combination yeah. 
but most of the time it's very lonely when you're just writing a book on your own and you find it quite hard to get an insight into whether it's good or whether it's rubbish and my partner will read little bits of it but he's not really into that kind of fiction yeah. anyway so yeah. he's kind of like this is a bit dreary is it boring you know oh, he sounds lovely take, <laughs> <laughs> I can't always take his, his word for it so and at the moment my frustration is is I just don't seem to have any because I've gone back into marketing four days a week um let's see how everything works out because at the moment it's you know it feels slightly bonkers and and I don't I can't carve out the time to write because I've mistakenly thought that I would write whilst the kids were in bed so I would come home from work and I would then write and I've just finished a second book but that has only happened because I've literally been able to if she's having a nap I will do 10 minutes writing and there's something quite manic about it because it's really like I've only yeah. got 10 minutes so I've really got to go for it or you know um she's off you know Paul's got her my partner's got her for an hour he's not babysitting <laughs> and I'm doing it so basically fitting it in around little tiny patchworks of time really it also you know. depends where you are in your life I wrote my first book while my kids were sleeping so mm. every night and I was a single mum then so um every night I would bath them give them their dinner put them to bed then I'd get a quick bite to eat <clears throat> then I'd start writing at about half nine and then I would write till about half two and I wrote my whole book between half nine at night and half two in the morning in about three months wow. there is no way I could do that now at 44 there is absolutely no way you ever did it That's so that was in so that was insane. in um, 2013 I wrote that book and just two years later I wrote my second book or 18 months later and in that space of time it had fallen off a cliff there was just I cannot stay awake I just can't stay awake. So I could maybe watch the telly until one or something, yeah. like on my back in bed, but just mm. to have, to be typing and thinking that I just couldn't do mm. it. And so my second book was a little bit late because I just had to, I realised my limitations mm, had completely yeah. changed because sleep. I was older mm. and I just can't, I just can't stay up all night writing on a deadline the way I did when mm. I was young. See, for yeah. me, it's so cathartic because I think I put so much of myself into characters. And so even now when I'm in a job, it's horrible, but I think all authors are the same. You, you use the people that you meet and you mm. encounter as ca characters, you know, so already I'm desperate to start writing more scenarios of, I suppose it's predominantly office life, you know, extreme office life, and some, which is a lot in in Motherwhelmed, but it's kind of the idiot kind of practices of brainstorm meetings and blue sky thinking and all of that stuff that drives most people who work in an office slightly bonkers. Well, I wanted to um, ask you about that actually because the the marketing. So I'm not done with the book, I must admit. Mm. So I'm in the middle in the middle of reading it, and the way that you write about marketing <laughs> and just people in the offices and your Rebecca's manager uh being like some really terrifying Sheryl Sandberg-esque mm. woman um must have been so cathartic and it just felt like it would have been fun to write that and just yeah. to be like oh this fucking weirdo that I used to work oh, no. with that's gonna be this well, I mean we've all known that there's that a, bitch supportive of your <laughs> I think there's a scene in um I, I love the film about Schmidt I don't know if you've seen it yes Jack yeah. who Jack Nicholson sort of goes through this terrible kind of metamorphosis where he finishes work and then he realises he's got no future and he starts to write, he sponsors a child and he decides to write the sponsored child a letter and he starts off quite innocently enough sort of saying, you know, dear Nagugu, you know, it's lovely to meet you and I'm your sponsored father and then it quickly digresses into this, you know, 
you know, I hate my wife, she stinks, you know, and it goes off into this mad rambling. And for me, certainly in my old job where I felt very sort of just not myself and out mm. of sorts and under pressure and I used to, you know, the, the keyboard would practically be on fire, you know, the little things would be flying off because I'd be sort of typing away. And yes, it was definitely based on this sense that kind of a lot of the practices within offices are not conducive to good mental health. They're Absolutely. not conducive to to team bonding. You kind of you spend an awful lot of time sort of just trying to bat things away, sort of mm-hmm. like, you know, email and meetings. And I was quite senior in that office, so I had so many meetings, you know, we're being called into another meeting. And a lot of posturing and a lot of kind of very masculine culture. So even the women who did very well, I noticed were essentially had a lot of those masculine values, you know, the kind of not very high empathy, you know. Mm. Mm -hmm. There was one woman in particular who I sort of based Phoebe on who could always outdo you because she essentially had she'd had she'd had three children at the same time. What Um, do you mean? She'd had had triplets. She had triplets. Um, oh my god but anyway for me so it, it meant that if you were tired or you'd had a slightly Must shit be night or whatever you were never ever going to be able to keep never. compete on that level because someone who's had triplets <laughs> unless you've had quadruplets <laughs> and who ran a really 10k have, that they same morning OBE, <laughs> don't they? Really an automatic sort of, OBE exactly so there was this horrible sort of competition but you but can never complain can you no. because you're always going to lose that one I'm tired and, are you well, yeah. the other thing is oh really I think a lot of mums really do struggle with their identity and and I think you struggle because your priorities have changed you know suddenly you really do want to get home to your kids at some point and so these interminable, some point. <laughs> interminable meetings they, yeah. they frustrate you and they drive you mad so it does make you I, I do think though that motherhood does force you into an efficient into an efficiency that you might not have had before totally I'm yeah. not staying like you know you get to that point where it's like I'm literally not staying so you need to tell me what you need to tell me in the next 35 minutes because then I'm mm. then yeah. I'm off yeah you Maybe. have to you just have to get the stuff done that you need to get done in the so, amount yeah. of time you have before you pick up your kids or So as a character, she doesn't to want do. to indulge in that. Chi- you know, in the kitchen where people sort of go, oh, that's kombucha. What kind of kombucha is that? Mm. Is it ginger? Is it, you know, what is it? She doesn't want to indulge in that. She's just like teabag, mug, back to desk, finish typing, have to get home. And she's kind of cut off from everybody because she can't, she doesn't really have the time to indulge in office banter but the problem is I'm as well it's literally like my dream yeah that's, yeah. <laughs> that's how I've always been yeah. whether I've had kids or not I'm exactly. just like she's just like and I think we are a bit like that anyway we just want to text each other don't we just like don't talk to me I'm going to text oh don't you ring instead. me any, ever yeah. someone needs to be dead if you ring me I just don't want to. I don't remember. No, no, literally (laughs) never. Um, I'm going to put a record on while we catch our breath. Um, But Anarchy Somerville's book Motherwhelmed is already out. Um, And Helen Linehan's Motherland is coming back to the BBC next month. Let's put a record on. Welcome back. Um, we are still here with Anarchy Somerville talking about her new book, Mother Whelmed, and we're talking about Motherland with Helen. Ooh. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about is the new documentary um, from Jesse Nelson of Little Mix called Jesse Nelson, Odd One Out. 
it tells the story of how she was affected by trolling and being really harassed um, online on social media um, from when she was on X Factor. Because you find out that they were basically told, okay, you're on X Factor now, you have to be on social media. Um, And it sounds like they were given practically no support in how to actually deal with being on a reality TV show of they that were told level. They absolutely had to be on social media. They had media. to be on social yeah. media. And they weren't given any support around that. And poor Jesse was sent horrible messages from, you know, the time that they were on the show. And this kind of tells her story of how deeply and horribly she was affected by all of the harassment she had to endure online. Um, through social media and her kind of journey out. I don't even want to say out the other side because you cannot be cured of that. That level of harassment, and you know what, any level of harassment, because even if you're not a pop star, um, even if you're just at school, you can be the target for whatever reason of bullying um, and having that done to you uh, through the internet and through social media. Um, and this documentary really broke my heart because... But it's been massive, hasn't it? It has It's been been the most watched thing um, on BBC iPlayer of the month, I believe, more than the Cameron... Yeah, uh, thank thing, God. Which I'm pleased to have. 1.87 million requests within seven days, and 64% of them were 16 to 34 year olds. Right. I mean, good on her. I think she's, I think she's sound, Jessie. I think mm. she's really, really good for doing it. I think she's a good thing because she's been through loads of shit. I mean, so she essentially her trolling has taken the form of the ugly one from Little Mix, the fat, Mm -hmm. ugly one from Little Mix, which, of course, is mental because if you see her, she's, like, gorgeous, Mm. kind of sexy. Not that it should matter, but that's how fucked our frame of reference has become. Well, you know, Twitter, uh, which is mainly the, you know, where all the the bullies come from, I'd say... uh, you know, like I think Lady Gaga described it as a toilet. It is a toilet. <laughs> it is a filthy toilet, and it's like you uh, open you you get to see what's going on in every, everybody's head it, it, on Twitter because mm-hmm. you know before nobody had that chance of of you know communicating or at least involving yourself in some kind of argument or whatever and now everybody has has access to everybody on every subject all of the time yeah Yeah. and a lot of people especially during the day when you know people are at work and have to do stuff that's when bullies come out and trolls and stuff it's horrible i mean i i did this um uh, pro-choice campaign with Amnesty in mm-hmm. Ireland uh, with the abortion stuff and because it was illegal in Ireland and so I was very much involved in the in the campaign to to change that which we did brilliant um, but you know I, I'm not really on Twitter anymore I do have an account but I never use it but uh, obviously I op- I was open to all of that stuff mm-hmm. and but surprisingly the the I only had say like two percent out of all the messages I received independently for pe- from people via Facebook or Twitter uh, about two percent of the messages were really 
ter- terribly about repeal. Yeah, about yeah. repeal. About uh, and um, you know, just just very nasty bullying and and bizarre. So I, I was quite fortunate that I could, you know. But I think with this um, Jessie from Little Mix, I mean that she's young and it's yeah. I, I I I could deal with that kind of stuff. I mean, it's horrendous. It really is horrendous. And and I can completely understand how she was distraught. Mm. Didn't she attempt to kill herself? Yeah. yeah, yeah. She talked about how she'd attempted to kill herself. And I think, I mean, obviously, it's such a cliche. We all know it's a whole new world and the pressures are different. But I think for her, and, and the same is true of me, lots of the other stuff isn't true of me, but she has to be on social media yep. for her job. I have to be on social media. I don't have mm. the option to leave. I would dearly love to on many, many, many days of the year. Mm-hmm. I would like to not be on it. Um, Do you get a lot of um, trolling sort of stuff? Uh, um, I wouldn't say a lot. I wouldn't say a lot, but when it happens, it's incredibly mad. Mm. <laughs> it's yeah. incredibly mad and vicious. And... And like really outrageous things that yeah. are just totally untrue that are said about me, and that and that's very difficult. I mean, there's a thing, you know, there are things ongoing at the moment that I literally can't discuss because they're with um, they're with uh, legal experts as we speak. Mm. But it, it's not loads. But when it happens, it's extraordinary. Like nobody yeah. else in my life can believe it, and my and friends are it, like, "Who are they even talking about? That's yeah. not even like we can't even recognise you yeah. in what they're saying." And does it terribly? upset you do you lose Um, lose sleep over it and stuff like that um i I, um lies when it's lies i it it makes me nuts because Mm. i hate the injustice of it look i'm not jesse from little mix in a million ways if loads of people came onto my instagram and said you fat fucking dog i wouldn't care Mm. i actually wouldn't care so if it was that because i'm not her in many ways and that just happens to be something that wouldn't particularly bother me Mm. i would just block and move on Mm. what i hate is when people state things as fact that are monstrously untrue and also talk about my children and talk about my family and talk about my friends who are dead friends who are alive i just it's mad, but you just you just have to look at the people around you mm. and the people who care about you and think they know me. And actually, your life has to be terrible to make this your focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You must be so bored. Yeah. You must be so dissatisfied. You must be... To be this obsessed with another person To be person obsessed with a stranger who know. you can simply disengage with yeah. must be so hard. Like, there are some people on Twitter I can't stand. So let's say, for example, you know, Piers Morgan, Donald Trump... I block them, yep. not because they would ever know one way or another. I block them because I don't, don't need to it. be irritated by someone. Mm. And so I don't understand why you would engage with somebody who you absolutely hate. Mm. Just, just ignore them. I don't need people I hate in my life. Yeah. So I don't know why you would court a situation where you're constantly exposing yourself to someone you hate, then running off and laughing about it or, mm. or lying about it or dissecting it. I just think, how can that be your life? It just yeah. breaks my heart for you almost. But for some mm. people, you know, they have... Uh, mental issues i'd say on mm. that that have because anyone can have a twitter account you know i think that that is that is some of it also uh part of it can be my mum would say 
they're jealous. Mm. <laughs> they're just jealous. Or, um, you know, it's people rubbing their hands together thinking, <laughs> I've, I've pissed them off. I can see. I've got to them. It, it doesn't matter whether it's good or bad, but I've, I've engaged that yeah. person. And it's also a need where when you've gone so far with it, you have no option but to double down because otherwise you have to admit that you're being vile. So you just have to keep going and keep going till it becomes this insane, toxic thing. And in those groups, you know, you you see the dynamics, the kind of classic Mm. group dynamics. You get a couple who've clearly got a disorder of some kind who Mm -hmm. are just obviously Mm. mad. Then you have a couple of sort of saddos who try to impress them by trying to keep up with them. Then you have a couple who are blatantly bored or jealous or whatever the things mm-hmm. you describe. And you see how a group can kind of, the heat on it can go up and up and up mm. until it becomes absolutely batshit mental. Mm. And yeah. I've seen it happen to people I know over mm-hmm. and over again. It kind of always follows the same kind of pattern. Um and it's de- it's deranged, and every woman I know uh, of any profile, whether they're like mega celebs or on telly, or, or or just someone with a little space of the internet like me or Catelyn or literally any woman we yeah. know yeah. with any kind of platform, has experienced mm-hmm. really insane shit. Yeah, and it's what's the the kind of like catch twenty two with all of it. Like you were saying, like you have to be on social media for your job. And I think I was just listening to an interview um, uh, with, oh gosh, I can't think of her name at the moment, the author of Trick Mirror, um, Mm -hmm. who was talking about the fact that, okay, we exist in this capitalist system. We are commodifying ourselves, basically. But also, how do you get out of it? Because Instagram's making money off of your face. And if you have a sponsored post, whatever, you're making money off of Instagram Mm. as well. But it's part of this system. And if you're an author, if you're a journalist, if it, there's so many jobs for women where you kind of have to participate but, in but this. We also, but we also currently live in a climate. We live in a very post-facts area. So, mm-hmm. so in the past, when people just say sort of things that are blatantly untrue, everybody would go, don't be ridiculous, that's not true. We now have world leaders stating black is white, Mm. night is day, and that has such a disorientating effect culturally, I think, Mm. on what people can say. You can now walk into a room, say something absolutely ridiculous, and still believe that you've won an argument. You can be convicted by 11 Supreme Court justices who all say that you've been unlawful, and then you can go... I disagree. It's all part of the same thing. Exactly. Yep. I disagree. Well, no, you don't disagree. You literally broke the law. You yep. can't. Di- you literally have <laughs> this been found to have broken the law. This isn't an opinion Like, exactly. you're wrong. <laughs> it's not a matter of opinion. So worry about the... I'm going to sound very sort of old now, but thinking about the younger generation, because obviously she is much younger, and I think the older you get, the more confident you are in some ways, the less you care about what other people think of you. Um, But I remember when I was younger, somebody made a comment once and they said, oh, you know, you've got rugby players' legs. They said, oh, you know, it was a guy, it was a boy. And that I please say he didn't shag you as you walk through. <laughs> and then I kicked him in the complaint. face. Anyway, <laughs> that comment stuck in my mind for my entire life. You know, yeah. so whenever I whenever I look at myself in the mirror, I go rugby players' legs. Come on, rugby players' legs. And that was when I was probably about I don't know twelve, thirteen. Mm-hmm. But that was one person. Yeah. And it was only me and him. So nobody else witnessed that. Whereas this kind of level is when you see the kind of the amount of comments and that each comment actually builds on the other sort of, you know, you're a pig, you're a fat pig, you're an ugly pig, you know, you need to die. It kind of goes up and up and up and up. 
And just thinking about how sort of vulnerable you are at that age in terms of shaping the way you feel about your body, the way you feel about It's yourself. also much harder to disassociate yourself from it and go, OK, well, there's something really the matter with you. Mm. And that's something that comes with age, I think. You, you know, you've met enough lunatics by the time you're in your 40s yeah. that you can go, oh, dear me, what Back the away. hell, what the hell is going on in your life? I wanting to say to her, just, you know... They are all idiots, you know, they are all idiots. Of course. You know, they just don't believe them, don't believe them. Because obviously with age, you kind of know that because you've managed to sort of navigate around. You've met good and bad people and you know the difference. But obviously when you're young, I don't think you'll, you can necessarily do that. And I think she, she took all of those comments to heart. You know, she carried them with her and it became a burden. And I can't really frust- young girl doesn't exactly. take shit to heart. I mean, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the scary thing. And I just felt so sorry for her because I was just thinking, you know, God you know, further down the line, hopefully you'll realise what an amazing person you are and what you've achieved and that none of these bloody people matter. You know, they just don't. And if I was her mum, I think her mum had this similar frustration where she was just horribly, you know, she hated seeing her daughter attacked. But she was also like, you need to just withdraw a bit from the social media. I think that's why I can't cope with stuff involving, or that's why my tipping point is when people involve my children for that reason. Because it's not that I go... I start doubting myself. I know I'm a good mum. I know how close I am to my kids. It's not that. It's that my kids are teenage. They Google. Yeah. And I, they are not ready to understand that somebody is batshit mental mm. rather than trying to wound them yeah. personally. Your brain and, isn't and that's fully formed as a teenager. Like, you're still figuring stuff out. And I think age has a lot to do with it. But I think also... What's so difficult about the best way to combat this, or the best way to deal with it, and we can kind of talk about in a minute because there's like a whole campaign around not engaging with trolls. But like, each situation is different. Each person has their own their own history, their own. Okay, maybe even if you're in your 30s, if you were bullied as a kid in school, and then you get quite a following on Instagram and start encountering the same sort of stuff, like, how do you mentally just go? oh, no, they're wrong, I'm fine, and then not look in the mirror. And I think, as Jesse said, like she started to see this sort of monster that they that she kept reading about in her comments, people telling her, you're a monster, you have a weird deformed oh, I'd face. Like, I'd like you to know? punch all those people in the right? face it's for awful. doing that it's to her. Like, it's a literal mindfuck for people, and I think no matter how old you are, if you are constantly, if you're at a low point or maybe you don't have as much resilience as other people do, which isn't your fault, but that's just the kind of way you're built. Also, it's harder also to deal your, with. your mental health is nobody else's, but they, no. you, you, they shouldn't, whether you're in a vulnerable place is neither here nor there. Just don't be just a prick yeah. to people online. Just don't yeah. be a prick. It's really, really easy yeah. to avoid. But, but, the, but I find negative comments stick more than of course. positive oh, yeah. don't with they everyone. So every, yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. the negative stuff it just sticks like and yeah. so jesse's documentary has um kick-started a movement so there's loads and loads of focus on this at the moment isn't yes. there on online bullying and trolling and so there is a semi-official body that's kind of come out and they're giving guidelines yeah, and other celebrities the, are chipping in. So what are they telling people yeah, to do the, about it? It's the Centre for Countering Digital Hate. Um, you have uh, Rachel Riley from Countdown. She's involved because she received horrible abuse. She has a horrible when, time of it. Horrible yeah. time. 
um, Gary Lineker is involved, and the sort of line that they're taking is that you should not engage or feed the trolls. Mm -hmm. You should not. Uh, I see this every single day. You know, retweeting what somebody's saying with your comment on top, showing what kind of abuse you're getting, and it's it's a really. I don't think there's a blanket answer. I think for a lot of people that works, and I think that we kind of do need to stop with the retweeting horrible things that horrible people say with your comment because well, it gives them a boner. It it does. It it really does. And like I block Trump because I don't want to see it. And I think if more people not talking about personal abuse, but if we're just talking about fucking idiots like that, you don't need to retweet what it is that they're saying. See, it's funny with blocking, because for years and years and years, I only muted. I just used mm-hmm. to mute because I used to think, actually, if I block you, that's a bit of a feather in your cap. That's mm. a bit yeah, of a yeah, bonus yeah. for you, that I've blocked you. And I just used to mute people. But now I just think, actually, why am I even thinking about your thought process? I actually just don't want you anywhere near me. There's something very much the matter with yeah. you, so I just block. And I always find out who people are. That's the problem with trolling a journalist. People just don't realise <laughs> that if they troll a journalist, you'll find out who they are no, very, are. very, very yeah. quickly. Um, and so I do just block because I think actually I've already given this enough mm. space and I I just want you away from me. You're kind of disgusting. Yeah. But do you think that, because for me, my experience of Twitter is I had a fun time um, on it. I, you know, just, on it now. I, well, I've, got, I've got an account, but I don't use it. And I would, I, I just used to enjoy tweeting funny stuff or whatever you know um and i just fell out of love with it because of the the uh, pro-choice campaign really and just a few nut jobs getting in touch with me sending me diagrams and stuff like that just insane oh, stuff thanks. hilarious um but yeah i mean i my question is right so you you said a few times that you can't live you can't sort of it's your job Mm. to be on Mm. do you think you cannot cope without can you not continue your jobs with without twitter it's hard to believe but i actually do the bare minimum so so for somebody for somebody in my job i think the expectation would be that you would post on instagram maybe two three times a day Mm Very, very often I'll go for five or six days with nothing. Yeah. Because I just, I've got too much going on. I don't, nothing interesting is happening. I'm sitting at my kitchen table looking like a right old dog writing. There's just like nothing. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's you know, exhausting. you know when I'm writing, I just put up a picture of the dog because like there's nothing else. Like there's nothing else going on. Yeah. And so I will go for several days, but but. But on the whole, no. I, I mean, I, I do need to be on it. And actually, yeah. you know, for the most part, the people who follow me are, um, you know, grown-up women and, and they're nice and it's they only really like every you. now and then yeah. something, you know, nasty happens and then it's just like, whoa. I was like, it's less common on... Because I, I feel really like a dinosaur, but I've I've been told, actually, uh, that I should be on Twitter. And I am on Twitter, but I never never really do it. I never, I'm never i on Instagram and that's kind of mm. the, the world and... I've never really... The only thing I've had on Instagram is old military men messaging me, which just seems to be a phenomena. When they say, um, hi, beautiful, say, hey, hi, beautiful, hi, how are you doing? Yeah. on the profile, it's like a, a 
I don't know, a 65-year-old American <laughs> military guy. Hmm. Did you get his number? With oh, a cute. Cute. I've never had hey. this. That, and, that, and it's funny, I thought it was the... I was like, oh, I'm the only one who has this, but I think lots of other women yeah, have had it too. That's but, just what they do. <laughs> but it's funny because Instagram is a bit of an echo chamber, so I... I use it to pimp up my ego, so I sort of post things, and I, you know, people like it. And I am really pathetic. It is kind of like, you know, I, if I ha- if I have quite a few likes, I feel quite good. But there that's not a, pathetic. That's literally everyone. But there isn't an. Awful that's why it's designed the way it is. Yes. Horrible comments, because you know, I, yeah. I don't think I've really had that, and maybe that's what steered me away from Twitter. But also, I'd, it was just too fast moving. You know, I found yeah. that. And if you are on Instagram and, you know, you're on WhatsApp and you're doing email and you're doing text messages, there does come a point where you're just like, actually, fuck, I need to get off my phone because I'm, you know, I'm just... Yeah, oh, it's horrible. Um, So Instagram to me feels a little bit kinder, though I know there are obviously examples when there's there's people... It's funny, the trolling you get on Twitter is kind of different. I don't Mm -hmm. know. It doesn't particularly affect me because I just go, oh... And there's so many bots on Twitter, that's the other thing. So I can normally see straight away that somebody's not actually a real person Mm. They've got like a MAGA um, yeah. profile and there's some like dude from Texas or whatever. Yeah. And I just think you're not a dude from Texas. You're yeah. in a troll farm paid for mm. by Russians or whatever. I don't really exactly. take it that seriously. Yeah. Um, but what I will say about Rachel Riley's advice, she's begging people to, to not feed the trolls, which I completely understand and, and is logical and sensible. The thing is that, there's only so much aggression people can absorb, yep. I think, mm. before some kind of adrenalised reaction yep. often kicks in. Mm-hmm. And when people are coming at you with both barrels telling you something that is literally not true mm. um, or making a kind of completely unjust accusation, which often happens on Twitter, I, I, I can't judge someone for going... Bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. Yeah. That is absolute exactly. bullshit. Yeah. And and women are less able to do it than men. So I have yeah. a friend called John Niven and um he, he his Twitter account is basically him calling people dog fuckers and just mm. being really, really aggressive to trolls in a way that a man <laughs> can get away with. Yeah. Yes. But if a woman did that, nope. then then the bros would all descend. Then you're being doxed you, on 4 chan and yeah. Yeah, yeah. Th- then you're just everywhere and it gets really, really ugly and then you get rape threats and then you get mm. death threats and every every woman I know has had a, a rape threat or mm. an assault threat on Twitter. Um, oh, I haven't. And so, well, you <laughs> need to get back on there. <laughs> you're making me think when you said about diagrams. What are you, what are you alluding to? Well, uh, because it was pro-choice. Oh, of course. So they would send, like... Pictures of a two-year-old saying, this is what a 12-week-old fetus looks like. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it would be a diagram of a full-grown baby yeah. with big sort of pincers coming to grab oh it or something. God. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But still, I would just be like, block block yeah. and go. Yeah. Uh, and But then I did take pleasure in a couple of times where I would engage with someone who is obviously incredibly religious and um, I would take pleasure in just having a little argument with them on Facebook just to just to show them just to expose how insane people are yeah Uh, Yeah. and for you know and then for my friends to just chip in and say oh these They're not very nice. There's actually a clinic in Ealing, which has been quite famous, um, a birth control clinic where they um, carry out abortions. And their religious people have said they're not allowed to camp outside the clinic. So they've now moved up sort of, well, two streets along and they're permanently there. And there's 
three chairs and um, it's it's a thorough way. I mean, I walk up and down there with you know with my youngest quite a lot, sort of going to Ealing and back again. And because if you have a baby in a buggy, it's it's, it's men predominantly who are demonstrating there. Yeah. So old old men. Yeah. But, but that's trolling. Um, it's in real life. That's trolling. It's a different generation. It's the yeah. same thing. It, it is, is the same exactly mob mentality. Yeah. It, it they are one hundred percent the same. Mm. It's just I think if we grew up without with, with just that, mm. <laughs> with just the in real yeah. life trolls or the sort of abusive relationships because again it's the same thing just mm. in a different form it's the same sort of feelings that you carry around in your pockets mm. like they it's did with the post-its in the documentary the buggy, so me and this friend that I'd made were walking together we did really manic long walks and we would walk side by side and they would approach us thinking that we would automatically be sympathetic because you have a baby mm. as if women um, who have abortions never have children no. angry you know we'd get very sort of angry because they'd mm. immediately try and push the brochure into our hands and it was it was so disturbing because there were lots of young people young women coming in with their partners and stuff and yeah. it was still within eye shot yeah. you know and to have these fanatics kind of it's awful on a, on I had very, um, oh, sorry a, a few years ago I had a coil fitted and then um, I've I've previously had an abortion I've written about it loads talked about it on the show um, not remotely ashamed of it but just so happened a couple of years ago I went to get a coil fitted and it happened to be in the place where people yep. were going for their abortion mm-hmm. consultations mm-hmm. and um, my husband and I came out and there were protesters. Yep. Mm. And all these young girls inside, I was just absolutely mm. furious. It's traumatic enough. Yeah. It's, it's bad enough. I, I mean, I used to live in the States, obviously, accent, and Planned Parenthood, like the one, because I've been to Planned Parenthood, and you go in and they have no, they just assume that you're there. And the same with like Marie Stopes and those sorts of places. They just assume mm. that you're there to have an abortion. And even if you are, totally fine but like it's just fuck you like I'm here to get my birth control pills but the difference with that form of trolling which isn't to take anything away from the absolute hideous trauma at a very 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 dark moment anyway Mm. potentially um, when you walk past those kind of trolls you pick yourself up and you Yep. Try to get on with your you day. You can get away from The them. difference with digital trolls is for every future step you take, mm. they pop up again. Yeah. Yep. And mm. you can't walk past, you can't walk away. They just keep popping up until you block yep. them. Yeah. And there's also those yep. visual cues. So you, I can see the, I can see this person, you know, if I walk past and I can make assumptions about who they are and their age and stuff. Whereas obviously digitally, you don't really have an idea of who mm. they are. You're bombarded. Are. You can't cross the street and get away from them. Yeah. And they hide behind their little screens, don't they, as well? Mm. So they do, which is why you need to find out who they are and where they work and where they live. Yeah, there was. Um, <laughs> the, I had a I had a troll a few years ago um, on Twitter, and he went on and on and on and on for years. He was an absolute pain in the ass. Anyway, so I just decided to find out who he was, which I did. Found out who his family were. Found out found loads of family pictures on Facebook. You can and always then you married him. Yeah, <laughs> reader. Um, and um, so what I did with him was next time he tweeted, I said, "All right, Andy, how was your mother's birthday party?" Or whatever. <gasps> Literally never heard from him again. And then there was another guy round about the same time where. Um, I printed out all of his tweets, all of his trolling tweets that he'd ever sent me, put them in a brown envelope and posted them to his home address with no comment. And so he received a brown envelope with all of his trolling tweets addressed to him. And so 
Oh, and I hope his wife See, found him. Oh, I'm telling you, he's very much not married. You'll be surprised to hear. I'm going to stop trolling you, Sally. <laughs> okay. I want to find the guy who said I had But you can usually find him. Because I'm kind of like, you know. What are you going to do? Send him revenge. a picture of your legs now? Yeah. Or I'm just going to send him, yeah, something like a little action man's legs chopped off in an envelope. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, is that he'd be like. The ostensibly normal people. That's yeah. the shocking thing. Yeah, he'd be like, doctors, nurses, teachers. I don't remember that. That's what you were saying about the negative comment. It's kind of, it's lived with me. I mean, of course he doesn't remember. He just said it <laughs> flippantly, probably. Um, yeah. Or he was sexually attracted to me. He loved rugby player legs and he just couldn't admit it to himself. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? A, there's no logic behind there is something, There's always something in your brain that just thinks that's so lovely to get that revenge on somebody who said something cool. Yeah, Indeed. and just... Uh, I suppose I don't, I don't even sort of see it as revenge. I just sort of think, okay, well, you think you sit behind a cloak yeah. of anonymity. I'm just letting you know that you don't. So yeah, I'm smarter than so you. I know who you are. That's fine. You can <laughs> sit with that. You can sit with that and, you know, and sometimes things have to get legal or whatever. But just on the whole, I just want to let people know that the thing that they take for granted is not there. Yep. Yeah. You know, privacy, privacy is over because that's what emboldens people, their mm-hmm. belief that they're bulletproof and that they can't be seen. And mm. pretty much people can always be seen. Yeah, yeah. Sally sees you. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think we all, you know, we all have a kind of a bit of an idea. If you make enough of an effort, you can normally find out. But yeah. the really chilling thing is when you find out, you know, they're an A&E doctor, for example, oh uh, which I find out once, or, or a school teacher. Or, yeah, you know, that's that horrifying, is, isn't that is it? Scary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's quite shocking. You think, God, I, I would really hate to find out my children were being taught by someone like that. I'd be really upset. Mm. So that's quite chilling. But um, but yeah, it's not the same for Jessie from Little Mix. No. And so I think she's doing she's doing God's work. She really there. is. Yeah. No, it's such an important documentary. Um, we're going to have to go. We've literally run out of time. Um, thank you so much to Helen Linehan, co-creator and co-writer of Motherland, which is back next month. We don't have an actual transmission date as yet. We did, and then it's kind of shifted slightly. Um, but we think next month. I hope so. October. Um, and Anki Somerville's uh, book is called Motherwhelmed, and it is out right now. And it's now on paper, isn't it? It was digital, and it now is, it's so on it paper. It won't actually be paper for a little while, so it's digital to the So you can way. still download it. You can it. download it, that's it. And it's, it's a very... I wish I knew the recommended retail price, but it's a bargain, I think. It was like one ninety nine when I bought it. Yeah. Like, what can you get? A Twix? A right. Twix and a pint of milk? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, buy the book instead. And what's, um, and what's next? So you filmed the whole thing? Yeah, filmed it, wrote it. Uh, it's on and we've been commissioned another series yeah so number three will be Congrats. giving birth to that again when we can all get together amazing yeah very good and what about you you're back at work another book in the pipeline yeah so the second book is sort of in production um and so yeah finish that up carry on writing stay sane i imagine Great. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I will be back with Kate Sevilla next month. See you later.